Good morning. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastor elders here, and I'm excited to get to be back with you guys. This is the first time I've been back in this building, and uh, gosh, since like the beginning of June. And so it's been it's been a long time. Uh, my family's been traveling. We've uh, had some work trips as well as some vacation plans this summer, and so like many of you, we've just kind of been all over the place. Um, it's been a refreshing summer in so many ways, um, and uh, we, we got to take a couple vacations. One, um, Becca and I got to go on a, a, an anniversary trip, and then uh, we got to have a trip to the beach with uh, my boys, which is, I've learned um, as a parent now of a, a six three, and one-year-old boy, that vacation is no longer restful. Um, we call them adventures um, now um, because it's just full-on, like even with all of our family there, they want dad like 95% of the time. Um, and so I was either getting slammed by the, uh, the ocean waves um, or I was digging a hole as deep as Hudson at one point because he comes up to me and he's like, I need a secret headquarters, dad. And so... Um, <laughs> We had crabs jumping out of the sand. It was insane. Um, but we eventually um, built him a secret headquarters. Um, so uh, what I've learned over the years, though, um, with um, my wife's family and mine, when we got married, I realized we planned vacations really differently. Like the way she grew up planning vacations and the way my family grew up planning vacations, it was completely different. Hers, same place every year. They go, they sit on the beach, no agenda whatsoever. That was it. And I was like, what in the world is this? Like, I mean, when we went, when we planned vacations in my family, it was, we planned well out in advance, and we would all sit down once we knew the destination we were going to, and we would dream up all the things we were going to do, and then we would plan it all out, and we would detail it all out. And I mean, that's my mom, and then she passed that on to me, all right? And so I'm that uh, anal, like, planner kind of guy. Um, And so... Um, I did not at all appreciate the kind of planning that was happening in uh, vacations on my wife's side of the family until I had three boys, and I'm like, oh, rest is nice. Um, so, uh, but there's, we all have different approaches to planning in general. Some of you hear the word planning, and your ears perk up, and you get a little excited, like me, all right? Um, and some of you, though, just have a chill run up your spine, right? It's like, oh, planning, that's the last thing I want to think about. Well, I'm not here today to provide some systematic, like foolproof strategic planning system. That's just not not the point of what we're going to get at today. Although I I love strategic planning, okay? So if you want to talk about that, we'll have a fun nerdy chat afterwards. But we're here today to talk about biblical principles that will give us wisdom in planning and decision making that we need in order to flourish, to find renewal in Jesus. And so when we look at the Proverbs that we've we just heard read by Matt this morning. What we see is that a wise approach to plans leads to renewal, but foolish approaches to planning and decision-making leads to destruction. That's Proverbs 21.5. It says that uh, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Proverbs 3.8, after talking about uh, the posture we're to have when we approach planning in verses 5 through 7, it says that if we take on a wise approach to plans as the book of Proverbs is calling us to, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. And then Proverbs 16.20, another way to, to translate it is this, whoever gives thought to a matter will discover good, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. So a wise approach to plans leads to renewal. 
It, it gives purpose without a, a paralysis, right? That, that kind of analysis paralysis that, that we get when we have so many choices coming our way or so many, or, or the weight of planning that we're overwhelmed. Wise planning, biblical planning, leads us to renewal of purpose without paralysis. It leads us to, um, to avoid or uh, to have purpose without insignificance, to be part of a bigger purpose, a bigger story without insignificance within that story. Uh, wise plans and decision-making and approach to life bring us to renewal because it provides a source of clarity, hope, and significance to what we do day in and day out, to the way we approach the future, to the way we make decisions. And so um, I just want to um, I'm going to point you to the screen here. We're going to, we're going to work through a two-by-two. A two. I don't know if it's I just missed Matt and I missed his two-by-twos, and so I came up with one of these this time or what it is. But here we go. We're going to go for one of these um, kind of two-by-two two charts here. You can go ahead and bring the first one up on the screen. Um, and so we're talking about foolish plans versus wise plans today. And really what we see Proverbs doing is, is that in order to expose foolish approaches to plans and lead us to wisdom, the book of Proverbs, God is seeking to drive us to wrestle with two ideas. Two ideas. One, the degree to which our choices matter. And on the other hand, the degree to which God is in control. All right, and so that's, you see how that, that's kind of, we're going to walk through this chart and how um, the degree to which those things affect us. Um, and so on the one hand, you've got our choices matter completely, they're really important, or our choices don't matter. And then on the bottom side, God isn't in control, God is in control. And so we're going to walk through three foolish approaches to plans, three foolish approaches that we often will find ourselves falling into, all right? And so um, what we see is in these three, first three categories that we get to, that they, they will all lead to destruction in some form or fashion in our lives. In fact, much of the restlessness that people wrestle with in our day and age, I believe, the, the, the restlessness over um, what, what decisions to make, over um, the, a lack of significance, over um, a, a whole host of things, anxiety, depression, those kind of things, I believe are in part largely rooted in faulty approaches to the way we think about decision-making, the way we think about planning, the way we think about the future of our lives. And so three big ways that we go wrong with this. One is our choices matter, but God isn't in control. Our choices matter, but God isn't in control. This is, this is the, the prideful approach, right? We can do it ourselves. It's, it's what philosophers would call humanism. All right, Protagoras, a, a, an ancient philosopher, said man is the measure of all things. That's that idea of humanism. We define our own value. We define our own destiny. We make our own path. It's this prideful approach to decision-making that doesn't do what the author of Proverbs is talking about in chapter 3. It doesn't trust in the Lord with all its heart. It doesn't lean, or it does lean on its own understanding. A prideful approach doesn't acknowledge God in all of his ways. It is wise in its own eyes. When we fall into this category, we're being prideful. And, and as a result, we, we see how when we approach planning, when we approach decision-making, where our choices matter, and we feel the weight of that, but we're not acknowledging the fact that God is in control of all things, then we end up in, in a variety of destructive places. One of them is this anxious paralysis from too many choices. 
right? It's kind of like when you get, you hop on Netflix and you're trying to figure out what show to watch and it's like you spend more time looking for the, the show or the movie that you're going to watch than you do actually watching the show or movie and you get just get overwhelmed by the number of choices. And on a much more serious level, we, we are overwhelmed by the number of choices. The, the, the jobs or the careers we could, we could pursue, the, the relationships we could engage in, the, the major you could choose if you're in college, whatever it may be, we're overwhelmed by the number of choices. And when we try to do it all on our own, we feel the weight that our choices matter. They do make a difference. But when God isn't in control, when we, we aren't trusting in him, with all of our heart, then what we end up becoming is overwhelmed with anxiety. Because if I make one false misstep, if I don't analyze this thing perfectly and figure out the exact right path for my life, then it's all going to fall apart. And so we become paralyzed because we have a prideful posture. Or another way this, this teases out is that we might try to identify the perfect plan or decision for our lives. And, um, and we do this, we, we don't become paralyzed by it, but, but rather we, we're just relying on our own ability here. We're relying on our own logic, right, to, to reason it out. We're really good at making pros and cons lists, and we just kind of do it all on our own, separate from prayer, separate from dependence upon God's word, separate from dependence upon his people, because I've just got to figure it out on my own. Or maybe it's not logic for you. Maybe it's feelings, right? Maybe, maybe for you, it's I've, I'm, I'm waiting to feel the peace of God. We can really Christianize this pride peace when, when we seek to figure out our plans and our decision-making based on our feelings. Because when we think we're a good enough interpreter of our feelings to think that, well, the, the way I feel today um, or in this peace or whatever kind of feeling I'm hoping to find, we, we end up... Um, pridefully thinking that our feelings are a better guide for us than the word of God and prayer. And so we can take on this prideful posture in a variety of ways and it can lead us to destruction because our feelings and our logic ultimately aren't very good foundations for our decision making. It doesn't mean they're, not, they're irrelevant, right? We're going to talk about how our choices matter, how our logic and our, and our feelings and all of that come into play here, but, but when it's just that, it's going to lead to destruction every time. But even when we do set out great plans, even when we're really decisive, even when, when we are really good planners at, and being intentional, the unexpected happens. Rain comes and wipes away everything you have planned for Sunday fun day, right? Uh, the, our intentions get distorted, right? Technology that we develop and we have great plans for that we thought would, would bring flourishing for human beings actually gets, ends up getting distorted and used for evil. Even when we lay out great plans, the unexpected happens. Our intentions get distorted, and ultimately the effects don't last when they're just simply rooted in us because they're not rooted then in eternity. All of this is the opposite of what God is pressing us towards in Proverbs 3, 5 through 7, to trust in him with all of our heart, not lean on our own understanding and all of our ways to acknowledge him. And so that's the first destructive way, and maybe you wrestle with that category often. I know I personally do in a variety of ways. But there's also another way. In the, the bottom right corner, our choices don't really matter, but rather God... We, we know God is in control, right? It's a good truth. 
to remember God is in control, but when we begin to, to believe that God is in control in such a way that our choices just don't really matter, we end up being passive. And this is a, a fatalistic approach to life. It's a deterministic approach. In, in, in fatalism, everything is determined with a purpose, but we really have no control. And so why should we bother, bother with planning? Our, our decisions, our choices, they really don't make that much of a difference. In fact, we just what, the, the problem with this, this reality is that we end up feeling insignificant. And we're not. We'll get to that in a moment. We end up with this feeling of insignificance, of, and, and that leads to an indifferent passivity towards the world around us, towards relationships, towards those that are hurting, towards uh, the needs of the world around us. And so we have an indifferent passivity in how we engage the world because we believe it's all going to turn out the same in the end. So really, no matter what we do, it just doesn't really matter that much. On one level, I mean, some people in our country uh, feel that politically, right? Like the, the government's just moving in such a way, like it doesn't really matter. Like, like why even vote, right? It's just, it's all going to turn out the same in the end. My one little vote isn't significant, right? And so we, we just kind of, it's, it's easy from a political perspective to step back and go, oh, I'm just, just going to be passive. I'm going to step back. I'm not going to be involved. And for some, though, it's, you know, for Christians, as we think about it from an evangelistic perspective, if we just think that God is in total control, but we don't recognize that our choices matter, then when God says, uh, when, when we look at what God's doing to bring people to himself, we won't go and get involved because we'll think, well, hey, he's got it. He's already determined it. He's elected people, and, and so they're going to be saved whether I go out there and save them or not. It's already all set in stone. But the reality is, is that's not how God has set it up, and yet that's an easy place to get to is where we feel insignificant in the whole scheme of things. And so this isn't the path either. We're not meant for insignificance or indifferent passivity to the world around us. So fatalism isn't the right path. Humanism isn't the right path. There's also one other category that isn't the right path, and it's that bottom left, where our choices don't matter and God isn't in control. Maybe for most of us, this isn't a struggle. Um, we may not fall into this category very often um, because um, we, we, we look at Scripture and we see the, 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 those two parallel truths, but, um, but this is a category that people in our world wrestle with. And so maybe you're here this morning and, and you're trying to figure out this life thing, and, and you, don't, you don't know whether God is in control or not and, and whether our choices are meaningful. One approach that people have taken is this, this purposeless approach of, of nihilism, where life is meaningless. It's, it's futile. The, the, the work we do, the, the life we live is futile, and there's this kind of radical pessimism and skepticism. Skepticism about God, about the world around us, that, that it's just matter, and, and in the end, things happen, and, or they don't, and it just doesn't really matter that much in the end. And so what's the point of plans if you feel like your choices don't matter and don't make a difference? And there's no greater purpose or reality beyond the matter that we can taste, touch, or feel. What's the point? Practically, when we buy into these two truths and we live lives as if our choices don't matter and God isn't in control, we're led to depression at best and destruction at worst. So we see three ways that, that if we get these two truths, that our choices matter and that God is in control out of balance and out of whack, 
that we can end up in destructive patterns when it comes to, to making decisions and living life, making plans. Before we get on to that fourth way, I do want to just mention, by the way, I think uh, we're in the book of Proverbs, which is all about wisdom. There's other wisdom literature in the scriptures, and if you go to the next book in the book of Ecclesiastes, in many ways, the book of Ecclesiastes is an ongoing reflection about the faultiness of these three views, about the faultiness of approaching life in these three ways. And so I just encourage you, if you want to explore that more and you want to wrestle with that deeper, then, then go to the book of Ecclesiastes and walk through it. You're it's, it's not an easy book to study or read, but it's, it's worth your time. And so um, now, though, let's shift gears from the foolish approaches that lead to destruction, and let's just begin to reflect on, well, what's the way to renewal? What's the way to hope? What's the way to significance? And it is a paradox in which our choices matter and that God is in control. See, the fourth way seems contradictory. Our choices totally matter. And God is totally in control of everything. That seems like it just doesn't fit together. That's the essence of a paradox, right? But that is the path of wisdom that the book of Proverbs is laying before us. And it's that path that brings us to renewal. So here's the main point of all that we're going to be talking about today as we walk throughout these passages in Proverbs. Wise plans that lead to renewal embrace both a paradox and a person. Wise plans that lead to renewal embrace a paradox and a person. To find and enjoy the reality that, that we're going to look at, we, we've, got to, we've got to embrace this paradox that we just mentioned, as well as the person that God is leading us towards. And then we're going to talk about the pursuit of those wise plans as well. So we're going to look at the paradox, a purposeful paradox of wise plans. We're going to look at the person of wise plans. And then we're going to look at, well, how do we pursue those wise plans? plans in our lives. So let's start, start with talking about that purposeful paradox of wise plans. You can, you can jump to, we'll be in, in Proverbs 16, 1 through 4 here for a few moments to, to really dig into this paradox as it's laying before us both our choices totally matter. We're responsible. The choices we make day in and day out, the actions we take, the plans we make, they're significant. But then on the other side, that God is totally in control that nothing is outside of his control. It seems like a paradox, and yet it is a, or it seems like it's contradictory, but it is a purposeful paradox of the reality that we live in, and we need to embrace it. So let's, let's see it teased out in Proverbs 16. First off, in the first half of several verses in this, in this chapter, we're presented the fact that our choices really matter. Proverbs 16.1, it says, the plans of the heart belong to man. Then in verse 3, commit your work to the Lord. And then in verse 9, the heart of man plans his ways. It doesn't deny the fact that we need to be planning. It doesn't um, deny the fact that we make plans and that those plans are real and significant and that we do need to commit our work to the Lord. Like, it's, it's vital that we do that. Our choices matter. The way we approach planning matters. It's significant. We're totally responsible for those choices and the decisions they make. But at the same time, if we look at the second half of each of those verses, what we see is that not only do our choices matter, but God is totally in control. It says, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. So the way those plans get lived out is established in God, it says. And then in verse 3, it says, Commit your works to the Lord, and your plans will be established, implying by 
They're established by God. And then in verse 9, the heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. Yes, we plan, and that's significant, but it's God who brings it all about. And then in verse 33, we see this teased out further, the fact that God is totally in control. It says, the lot is cast into the lap. The lot is um, a die, dice, all right? And so they would, they would make decisions with dice back in, in, in the Old Testament or in, um, in other ancient cultures. But, but what God is saying is that even the lot says, it's every decision is from the Lord. Even just the rolling of the dice, God is in control of that. For some, they would look at that reality and they would go, how in the world does that make, then if, if that's true, if God is even in control of a roll of a dice, then how in the world do, do my decisions even matter? All right, because he's in control of everything. He's in control of how it'll turn out, even if I just decide to be passive. Well, look, I'm not here today to tell you that I fully understand how all that works together. All right, God's thoughts are are higher than my thoughts. They're higher than your thoughts. And, and the way he designed the universe is beautiful and amazing. The fact that he is totally in control, that a good, gracious, faithful father is king of the universe, and he's in control of every last thing. And yet, our choices totally matter. I don't know how it works together, right? When you're in college, you stay up late talking about these things, right? And, and you... And you, yet you never figure it out, right? Because it's just way too big. It's way too big for us. But man, isn't it amazing that our God is way bigger than us? He would not be God if he was not. If we could figure him out, then he would be just like us, right? And so we worship an amazing God that somehow has designed things in which nothing is out of his control. And so we can take comfort in that. And yet at the same time, he has allowed us to play a significant role in his great story and in our own individual stories in his great plan. And though I can't unpack how all of that works this morning, I do want to take us to, to a passage in Scripture that I think helps to illustrate the way this works. So Acts chapter 27. We're not going to read all of this, but if you want to, you can follow along a little bit with a few passages portions of this passage. Acts 27, verses 13 to 44. You can read this whole story later, but essentially Paul is, is on a boat. He's a prisoner. He's being shipped to Rome. And on this boat, they suddenly encounter all kinds of trouble. Like Paul was like, look, I told you guys we shouldn't have gotten on this thing. Like We're going um, to face all kinds of hardship. The ship is going to wreck. All right, he says that at one point, and yet he says, um, after his little I told you so, um, and they're facing this, this storm, and they're going without food and all sorts of stuff, he says, yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of this ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Their lives will not be lost, was God's message. No one, even as hopeless as this situation seems, God told Paul, no one's life will be lost. He's in control of the situation. He's going to ensure that that happens. And so Paul gives them that comforting word, all right? But then what we see is still a couple days go by. Like, this is a massive storm. This is, they're, they're struggling. They're, try, they're fighting for their own survival. 
Um, and people are about to like jump overboard and just do whatever they can to swim and make it on their own. They're going to take that prideful approach and they're going to say, I can do this, I can survive, I can ensure my own safety. And Paul says, though, knowing that God said, hey, everyone survives, in verse 31, Paul says to the centurion, the guy um, overseeing the boat and, and the soldier, and he said, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. So they're choices matter, right? If, if they choose to jump overboard, they're going to die, Paul says. But if they stay in the ship, they'll be saved. But wait, God just told him a moment ago that, that like, no one is going to die. And so what's going on here? And, and what ends up happening? We'll, we'll, we'll come back and reflect on this in a moment. What ends up happening is they, all, they cut the ropes. They decide to stay on. They don't take the, the, the rescue boats off of the main ship. And in the end, at the very end of this passage, um, they, it says this in verse 44, and so it was that all were brought safely to land. Everyone made their decision to stay on the boat until it was the right time. And as a result, everyone survived. So tell me, was God totally in control of that situation? Or what, were their choices insignificant? What, like, like, how does all of that work together? Well, God used Paul to ensure that the situation would turn out as he intended, as he was going to make happen, to bring everyone to safety. All right? What Paul is saying there, his warning was used by God to bring about the end that God had intended. Yes, their choices were significant. Paul, that was a very real choice that they had before them. And yet God knew and he planned and he ensured by using Paul as a warning that everyone would survive. And so exactly how all of these things work together, we can't fully get into the mind of God. But this is how he orders history. And this is a picture of the reality, the paradox that we have got to lead, lean into. Because wise plans fully embrace this paradox. They hold it in tension. And doing so leads to renewal. When we hold these two ideas in tension, because when, when we make plans that embrace this paradox, it leads us to a truly purposeful life. It leads us to a truly purposeful life in which everything we do matters. It matters. And yet we don't have to be paralyzed by that, because God is in control. A good God, not a capricious God, but a good God is in control, and he's got great purposes for us, redemptive purposes. We're not subject to randomness, but all that happens around us, even as we make plans and we make real significant choices, God has got this. Even when your plans seem to go completely awry, it's not a surprise to God, and he has a purpose behind it. And so wise plans that embrace this paradox lead to a truly purposeful and peaceful life. But it also, wise plans that embrace this paradox, when we, when we truly embrace this paradox, it leads us to repent. It leads us to repent of, of the ways that we fall into those other three categories and those other, way, uh, those other ways of planning and living, to repent of pride that, that puts and shoulders all of the weight of our planning and our living upon ourselves, or, or a passive approach that says, no, God, you got this, like, what, I don't really matter. No, God says you matter. God says the choices you make matter. And so don't take the passive approach. In fact, taking a merely passive approach 
is sinful. James, which is kind of the New Testament version of Proverbs, actually says just that in chapter 4, verse 17. It says, for you who know the right thing to do and fail to do it, for you it is sin. And so passivity is not an answer, and we need to repent of that just as much as we need to repent of pridefully taking all of it on our own shoulders. We don't get a pass, but we also don't get to, to put all the purpose on ourselves. And so wise plans lead to purposeful and peaceful life, but it starts with repenting of our pride and our passivity. But wise plans not only embrace this paradox, but they lead us to a person. Wise plans embrace a person. So who is the person of wise plans? That's what brings us back to, to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. I want to read the fullness of this, these four verses again to remind us, because I don't think we can hear this too many times. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. What we see in these short verses is that God designed us to flourish, not by knowing his exact plans, not by revealing to us every single little detail of how our life is going to go, but by leading us to a person. God designed us to flourish not by knowing his plans, but by knowing him as a person. So he doesn't reveal all the details of every decision we need to make here. Or even through his Holy Spirit, he doesn't lead us to know the exact specifications of our life from A to Z. Because he wants us in a relationship with him. It's like, it's like this, like at this point, Hudson, my oldest, is six years old. And so um, I love sharing in some of the things that brought joy to me when I was a kid and being able to do it with him. And so I, um, I enjoy getting him Lego sets, right? And so maybe that makes me a little nerdy, whatever, still enjoy that myself. Um, but um, I like getting him a Lego set. And I don't just get my son a Lego set and say, hey, have fun. Like, look at that picture, figure it out, and, and just trust him to figure it out. He's actually decent at following the instruction book, um, but it's going to look a little weird, right? He's six years old, and so he's not fully figured out this thing. Um, and so um, I don't just Give it to him and say, figure it out. You've got the instruction manual. Have fun. See you later. No, I get him a Lego set at this point because I want to sit down with him at the table. And I want to enjoy being with him and putting it together with him. Yes, we look at the instruction book and we look at the picture and we figure it out together. But it's a, it's a dependent relationship that he has with me as we walk through that process. I don't do it all for him. I let him make mistakes and then go back and fix it and all that kind of stuff. But but it's a relationship that it's about, right? Man, that is what God has given us in this word. It's not to give us all the specifications and for us and for God just to walk away and say, hey, you've got the instruction manual. Just figure it out. No, he gives us this so that we can walk into relationship with him, so that we can sit there and dwell in the presence of God as we listen to him speak to us. And so this word is not an instruction booklet that God just says, here, have fun, figure it out. 
And we've come up with some distorted version of what it looks like because let's be honest, that's the best we could possibly do apart from his spirit. But instead, God, Jesus, when he ascended, he sent his Holy Spirit so that when we're in this word, we're in fellowship with him and it's an opportunity to know him and love him. And so as we're making plans and we're seeking to make decisions and we're diving into this word, it's an opportunity to know God as a person and to walk in dependence upon him rather than on our ability to figure out the perfect plan or our own ingenuity and effectiveness. And so the person of wise plans is God himself. See, wise plans lead to renewal because ultimately they're Christ-centered. Wise plans lead to renewal because they're Christ-centered. This whole word is centered upon Jesus. This whole word is centered upon Christ, our Savior, and our King. And so wise plans lead to renewal because they're centered upon him. They depend on a person, as we see. It's all about trusting in the Lord, not leaning on our understanding. It's about a relationship with him, acknowledging him. We've got to slow down to do that. We can't run at this uh, breakneck pace. We can't just have a simple system for making decisions, but rather we've got to slow down and acknowledge God to be still, like Psalm 46.10 says, and know that he is God. Wise plans lead to renewal because they're Christ-centered. They depend on him. We see this, I think, unpacked even further in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 4, when we're pointed to the, the great plan of God, the redemptive plan of God that drives us to be dependent upon Jesus. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 4, it says, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, we were dead because we tried to do it on our own. We tried to make plans. We tried to, to make decisions. We tried to do this life thing on our own. We were dead. We went our own way. It's, it's called sin. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us. In who? In Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. See, our ultimate renewal is found not in us trying to figure out how we make our way back to God. It's not found in us studying this word and figuring out how we can follow all the laws written in it and live a moral life according to this word. See, ultimate renewal and salvation in, according to God, to step into the purpose that God has for us, is found in dependence upon Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not your own doing. It's not that prideful approach that thinks, I can figure it out. I can apply the instruction manual as best as I can, and I'll make my way back to heaven. It's not about being good enough or religious enough, but it's about depending upon Jesus. It's about being dependent upon him. And we don't move on from that reality once we're saved. It's not like that's the way God saves us, and then he wants us to kind of like, okay, now you're saved. Now use the instruction manual and figure it out on your own, right? No, he sends his Holy Spirit. He wants us to continue to walk in relationship with him, 
right? Because the, the greatest gift of our salvation is not just that we get saved from hellfire, from judgment of our sins, but rather it's that we get brought back into relationship with God for all of eternity. And so we don't just like get brought back into that relationship and say, okay, God, see you in hopefully 50 years or so when, I'm, you know, when I die and I'm in heaven with you. No, it's, man, now we get to walk day in, day out, decision by decision in relationship with God. And so wise plans lead to renewal because they're grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that everything we do is upheld by his grace. It's not about our own doing. It is a gift of God. It's not a result of our own ingenuity, the, the, the power of our own works, so that no one may boast that, hey, it's my plans that got me here. Whether we become a great success in the eyes of the world or we're impoverished in the eyes of the world. Either way, no one gets to boast because it's all dependent on him. So whether our plans crumble before our eyes or whether they're successful, we don't get to boast because it's all dependent upon him. It's all grace. It's all grace in the end. And so wise plans lead to renewal because they depend on Jesus. They don't depend on our ability. They've got to be rooted in Christ and his story, though. But here's further good news. It's not just that God's in control and that it's by his grace that we can find renewal in our planning, but also our choices matter, right? That's that other truth. And in this, when Christ saves us, he clarifies our purpose. He clarifies our purpose, and it's rooted, once again, in Christ. Our purpose is a Christ-centered purpose. See, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, if we read the last verse of this passage, it says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He gives us a great purpose. What is that purpose? Do, do I have to figure out? Do I have to like, you know, go off into the desert and, and spend a lot of time fasting and praying? Fasting and praying, of course, is a good thing and depending upon the Lord. But is it about like about unlocking some secret code to my life to know just exactly the steps I need to take, to know whether I'm supposed to be an engineer or a politician or a graphic designer or whatever it may be, if I'm supposed to get married to this person or that person. No, wise plans lead to renewal because they clarify for us our one great purpose, and that's Christ-likeness, Christ-likeness. The good works that he prepared before us beforehand to do is to become like Jesus. Romans 8.29 says this. It says, let me turn there real quick. Starting in verse 28, because I think this is an important verse for us to reflect on here too. It says, and we know that for those who love God and all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. But then he goes on to say after that famous verse, it says, for those whom he foreknew, he also be predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. Our purpose is Christ-likeness. 1 Thessalonians, um, in one of the later chapters of that book, I don't remember the exact reference off the top of my head, but it says, this is the will of God for you, your sanctification. In other words, our great purpose, no matter what career we end up doing, no matter who we end up marrying, is Christ-likeness. 
That's our great purpose. And so wise plans lead us to renewal because they lead us to depend on Christ and to clarify our purpose of Christ's likeness. We don't, we don't have to be bound up in this anxious paralysis anymore, wondering what it is we're called to do. We're called to be like Jesus, no matter what we do or where we go or who we meet. And yes, God has specific things he calls us to do, specific works that he's prepared for us. But we don't have to be anxious about those. We can just lean into the fact that he's called us to be like Jesus above all else. And we can set ourselves free from this anxiety of analyzing every possible decision. Because it's simple. It's clear. What makes us more like Jesus? What helps us to become more like him? What helps us to live like him and love others like him? And so we've seen the paradox of wise plans. We've seen the person of wise plans that we need to center our life upon. But how do we practically pursue that? How do we pr- practically pursue that in our lives? See, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 20 says this. I mentioned it. Um, in the ESV, it's, it's translated, whoever gives thought to the word will discover good. Really, the better translation of this, I believe, is, is whoever gives thought to a matter will discover good. And blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. And so... He's saying here, it's good to give thought. It's good to make plans, right? And so there's, there's, we need to pursue giving thought to a matter. But what does that look like? Well, first off, it starts with embracing dependence. Embracing dependence. The, the second half of Proverbs 16.20, right? Blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. What we looked at in Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. We've got to embrace dependence on Jesus. And we do that through prayer. We do that through prayer. I have to admit, way too often, my first reaction when decisions start coming my way is just to like, start stressing out about all the different factors I've got to consider. Unfortunately, like, I can't stand up here and say that every time my gut reaction is dropped to my knees in prayer. That's my goal, and I pray that as I become more like Jesus, that, that I will be a better example for you of the flock of God here, but also for my own good that I will learn that kind of dependence. But we all need that kind of dependence, right? Like that's what Jesus is calling us to is that we would, we would begin to, to depend on him. I mean, even in the writing of this sermon, honestly, like I was wrestling. Proverbs is incredibly difficult to preach, all right? And as we like, try to wrestle with how to piece all of this together, and I hadn't preached from Proverbs before, like I just, I kept wrestling and wrestling and going, yeah, I probably need to pray about this. And then I would, I would begin to wrestle through more thoughts. And, and I, never, I kept pushing off prayer. And then suddenly I was reading back through Proverbs 3, 5 through 7, and just the Holy Spirit was just like, Brandon, what are you doing? Like, the whole point of this is that you would trust in me. Pray. And I just, in complete repentance and humility, just drop before the Lord. And it's remarkable how it begins to bring into clarity when we do that. We've got, if we're going to pursue wise plans that embrace that paradox and the person that God intends to lead us to, then we've got to begin by praying. We've got to begin by praying. Then, though, we enjoy freedom. All right, so we embrace dependence on a God who's in control, a good God who's in control, but then we've got to enjoy freedom. We've got to enjoy the freedom that we've been given. Uh, Proverbs chapter 6, 
15, verse 3, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Another way to, um, the psalmist actually says this in Psalm 37, 4 is, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Augustine, I think, says it most clearly in interpreting these, these passages and, and bringing together these realities. He says, love God and do whatever you please. Love God and do whatever you please. For the soul trained in love to God will do nothing to offend the one who is beloved. That sounds kind of unspiritual to say, love God and just do whatever you please, right? Do whatever you please, like that just like, that seems completely antithetical to what we read in God's word. And yet, what he's getting at is exactly what the psalmist is getting at in Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord. Love him with all your heart. And then, like, just do what you please. Because if you are pleased in God, if you know him and enjoy him so much that every other desire is, is set to the side, then you're going to make the right decisions. You're going to walk in Christ's likeness, and you're going to follow his will for your life. And, and so, no, we're not going to walk in perfect love for God. All right? And we're going to talk about some intentional ways to make sure that we're, we're we're helping ourselves grow in love for God so that we can enjoy this freedom. But we, we need to, to recognize that it's not about teasing out every possible scenario. It's not about crafting the perfect plans. It's not about analyzing everything to death. But rather, we are free if we're seeking the Lord, if we're loving Him to make decisions and to just do something. Kevin DeYoung wrote a book about this. It's really helpful, I think, particularly for those of you that are in that, that college stage of trying to figure out major decisions over the, the trajectory of your life. That, that you have a freedom. Love God and do whatever you please. Because God's in control. And if you're pursuing his one great purpose for you, then you've got a great freedom. But how do we steward that freedom? We enjoy freedom through the word. Because it's in this word that we know, love, and obey him more. All right, and so we enjoy freedom by saturating ourselves in this word. That's where we begin to relate to God, to, 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 to love him more, to understand his ways more. And as the more and more we're saturated in this word, the more and more we can enjoy our freedom to love God and do whatever we please. And so saturate yourself in the word, embrace dependence through prayer, and then lastly, engage intentionality. That's what Proverbs 16.20 is really driving us towards giving thought to a matter. Engage intentionality as you, as you plan, as you make decisions in life. How does that look like? I mean, there, there's lots of tools out there. We could talk about that, but I think Proverbs drives us really simply with our intentionality and in giving thought to a matter. Proverbs over and over again points us to the power of multitude of counselors. And so we engage intentionality by, by giving thought to a matter with others in our lives with others that are sitting in this room that, that know you and that love God themselves and are going to saturate themselves in the word, give thought to a matter with others, those in your church, as well as those who are especially gifted at planning and things like that. <clears throat> Excuse me. So when I mentioned that, like experts out there that, that do think about strategic planning and those kinds of things, there's a bunch of different tools that we could, you know, I could point you to, but I know one that um, both Matt and I use and, and some others in the church and is, is by Michael Hyatt and um, a full focus planner. Now, 
that is, it's like the height of nerdy planning, okay? I will acknowledge that. Um, however, um, if you really get into that, um, then you'll love it. If you don't really get into it, maybe you can find a, full, a few things that's going to help you practically to engage intentionally about planning, all right? And so it's, there's, it's really good, though, when you're giving thought to a matter, to include those that know you well, as well as to take from the greater wisdom of Christians that have gone before us or that have provided tools for us, like a Michael Hyatt and his full focus planner type of stuff. All right, so there's just one example, a super nerdy example, granted, but, um, but it's one way to engage intentionality. And we do that through counsel of godly men and women in our lives. So, We've talked about the paradox, we've talked about the person, and we've talked about how we pursue it in some simple ways. Here's the deal as we wrap up this morning. Wise plans that lead to renewal are all about Jesus. If you remember nothing else from today, remember that. Wise plans that lead to renewal are all about Jesus. It's not about crafting the perfect strategic plan, preparing for every possible scenario, or discovering the exact right choices that you need to make in every possible situation. Experiencing renewal that wise plans can bring is only found when you know, love, and obey Jesus more and more. And so church, may we pursue him with everything we have, for he is a good God. He is a gracious savior. And he wants us to find renewal in him day in and day out, not to be paralyzed by by the number of choices before us, not to be paralyzed by the possible ways things can go wrong, but rather that we might find renewal so that we can then spread that renewal to others. Because God does not intend for our world to live in this chaotic restlessness that we find ourselves in, but rather to find renewal and life and hope and peace and purpose in him. Let's seek Jesus together, church. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning just thankful for the fact that we don't live in a purposeless world, that we're not all on our own, that God, we're not just some insignificant part of some fatalistic story happening around us, God, but that we get to be a part of your plan and that your plan is good and perfect and you know every detail of it. And you have secured it for our good and your glory, God. And I just pray that we would live into these wise plans, embracing the paradox, even as we don't fully understand it. That we would lean into those things and remember those things on a regular basis. And that that would lead us to depend on you. To saturate ourselves in your word. That we might know, love, and obey you more and more. And that we might take the renewal that's found in Jesus. That we enjoy ourselves to those that don't yet know you. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.